right, good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us tonight here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett. My wife, Sherry, will be joining us. And we'll be continuing our Bible study tonight on the Believer's Authority by Andrew Womack. We'll be in Chapter 15 again tonight, which entitled, I Believe and Receive. We'll talk more about that in just a second. Just so you know, all of our teachings and Bible studies are archived on our website, lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. Okay, and we just, uh, so we also want to say thank you to those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. And uh, you can, and just in case you don't know how, how you can do that, you can just simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. Go to our give page, and you can give anywhere from online. Uh, you can give online from anywhere in the world. And you can also, if, you, if you'd rather send us a check, you can simply go to, like, again, our website at lighthouseinstructions.org. On the bottom of every page or footer, you can find our mailing address. Just make sure you check the table to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And if you are in America, here in the USA, yeah, I just say so you know those uh, tax deductions are tax deductible. We are 501c3. So, anyway, uh, without further ado, we're just going to go ahead and get right back into our study tonight. And we're in chapter 15, it's talk, talk about believe and receive. Now keep in mind, we're talking about the believer's authority. As believers, we have authority. We have the under, there's a lot of scripture I can go on right here, but in Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10, it says that we are being redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and we have been made kings and priests to reign on the earth. And we, we have authority. But we need to know what authority we have, what authority we don't have. We also need to know how... How, <coughs> excuse me, and, and what means that we can exercise this authority. We don't have authority to lord it over other people, but we do have authority over the devil. We do have authority to heal the sick, raise the dead, raise the dead, and, 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 and cast out demons and whatnot. And there, there's other authority. And we've been talking about authority in, in recent chapters in, in, in context of how do we pray for the lost? How does that work? And more specifically, we've been talking about revival how how does revival come and how do we pray for revival what's our <coughs> excuse me what's our part to play with revival and authority because we talked about how you know you can't pray someone to be saved you have to preach the gospel to them now you can pray that they would uh that the, the gospel that they heard they would remember it and they they would uh, uh it would that seed the word of god it would would uh gestate in their hearts or whatnot. But everyone has the authority to reject or receive the gospel. If you preach the gospel or someone else preaches the gospel to someone, they can reject it. You can't pray someone uh, to, to receive Jesus. You can't, you can't pray for someone to be born again. It doesn't work that way. It didn't work that way with the apostles. You know, even we use an example of Cornelius uh, in Acts chapter 10 where uh, God gave Cornelius a vision to go send for Peter. He gave Peter a vision that some, a messenger was coming. And Peter went down to Cornelius' house, a Gentile household, and began to preach the gospel, and they were saved. He and his household. And so, why didn't the angel just preach the gospel? Because the angel does not have authority to preach the gospel. The, and, and no one can be saved unless they hear the gospel. Now we can pray that, and well, we can't pray, we can pray that God will send laborers. 
uh, into the harvest. The harvest is right, but we can pray that the God would send laborers. We can't pray that someone would be saved just through our prayer. Now we can pray that God would set the set, set the stage, that God would send somebody, and God would soften their hearts. But how do you know they have the right to harden their hearts if they choose to? God has given us a free will. Why did God give us a free will? Because if it was mandatory, if God made us all to be saved or not saved, and then we had no free will, that's not love. Okay? Uh, when you don't give someone a free will, that is not love. And so God is love. And, and so he gives us a free will to receive Christ, and he gives us a free will to reject Christ. And so so in that context, we've been praying, we, I mean, we've been studying about in, with authority, how does revival come? What's our place in revival? In this particular chapter, we're talking about believing and receiving in the context of revival, in the context of uh, uh, the, the context we read uh, uh, the last time we were together was that, you know, how do we, how do we reconcile the scriptures where uh, Jesus told disciples, tarry to Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit? And we've been talking about, we, we, we brought out how in, in, in that time, uh, the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out on all flesh. And so they had to tarry in, in Jerusalem. And so many people under the context of revival has said, well, we need to tarry for the Holy Spirit. Well, if you're going to take that scripture literally, then you need to also go to Jerusalem and tarry. Because uh, you are gonna, you can't just take half the scripture and apply it to your life. Well, if you're going to tarry, you need to go all the way to Jerusalem and tarry until the Holy Spirit comes. But that is ridiculous because God has already poured out His Holy Spirit. He has never withdrawn His Holy Spirit. Some of our church songs will, will sing, Come Holy Spirit, come. You know, it sounds good, and it, it might be a very beautiful song. But the Holy Spirit is not the one who left. He never left. He said he'll never leave us or forsake us. And so, uh, he didn't leave, we left. It's very similar in the, in the garden. When man sinned, God, God didn't hide himself from Adam. Adam hid himself from God. We've been hiding from God. God's not playing hide and seek with us. Uh, he didn't. He didn't abandon us. He didn't forsake us. He didn't turn his back on us because of sin. No, we turned our back on him, and sin will harden our heart towards God. And do we have? In the same context, you know, people say, "Well, do I have to go to church?" No, you don't have to go to church. Does going to church make me a Christian? No, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. It doesn't work that way, you know. And so, but. When you go to church, you're going to hear the word of God. You're going to be, you're going to come under the under the fellowship of one another and the, the, the accountability that's there and, and friendship and, 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 and the koinonia and the fellowship that's there. If you don't go to church, you're going to harden. Chances are, you're going to harden your heart towards God. And so, uh, over, and it might not happen instantly, but it can happen over a period of time. You know, if you stop praying, you stop spending time with God, uh, you not stop reading your Bible. That doesn't make you unsaved, but that over time that can actually harden your heart towards God. And so we, we, uh, you know, so I don't know about you, but because I'm married, I want to spend time with my wife. I want to spend time with friends that I know and family members I that are in my life. And so I want. It's not a burden. It's not a burden to do things with friends or whatnot. It's a burden not to, in one sense. You know, it's not. It's not a burden to go to church and all these different things. No, I want to because I want to spend time and I want to get to know him more. It's a relationship. You know, relationships work two ways. And he wants to reveal himself to me and he, I also want to get to know him better. And so, anyway, we've been talking about uh, believe and receive. 
And, it, and we're going to pick it up in, uh, we're about, uh, we're mostly done with the chapter. We're not quite, we got about two more, three, two, I think three more sections left in this chapter. And this section is entitled Waves. Because we're still talking about revival. We're talking about authority and, the way, and, and revival. And so how does the, the term waves and revival, uh, 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 I might be saying that not exactly correct, but waves is also a terminology when it comes to revival that people have said through the years. Maybe you haven't heard that term before. Maybe I'm not saying the term exactly right. But waves has been a term. Waves of revival has, has, a, has been a term in the context of talking about revivals. And so Andrew's going to bring some light to this, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more uh, in just a few moments. And just to piggyback for anyone uh, who hasn't been with us the, the la all the last previous Bible studies on Wednesday nights, but Dave mentioned, you know, there's certain authority that believers have and he explained a little bit of what's not and what it is in Luke 9 1 and 2 it says then he called and talked about Jesus and Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick I just wanted to bring that out because this is the authority, uh, part of the authority that Jesus has given us, his disciples as children of God. Uh, and I encourage you, again, if you're new, to go on our website and check out the previous Bible studies because Andrew does a very good job of explaining what this authority is. So, waves. Martin Luther had a real heart for God. He wasn't satisfied with the religious, religious teaching and traditionally accepted doctrine of his day. As a pilgrim to the holy city, praying his rosary and climbing up the steps of the holy building, he realized that visiting that place and doing those things didn't make any difference. As he stood there, fed up with it all, the Holy Spirit brought scripture back to his remembrance. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Romans 3, 27 and 28. Martin Luther heard the word and believed it. Then he acted on it by nailing his 95 theses up on the door of his church in Wittenberg, Germany. He stood boldly before the religious leaders at the Diet of Worms giving his defense. Martin Luther proclaimed the word of God and that word acted like a wildfire in the hungry hearts of the people. From it, the Reformation sprung up and the world was forever changed. This wasn't because God just sovereignly said, all right, I'm ready to do something new on the earth. No, it was because a single person, a physical human being, believed, received, and acted on the word of God. Religion teaches that God moves in waves. Back in the 1940s and 50s, there was a healing movement that came through the body of Christ. There were healing revivals, healing evangelists, and tent meetings springing up everywhere. Then there was the charismatic movement and the word of faith movement. Now there's this and that movement, and people are saying, look, God is doing a new thing. He's pouring out his spirit again. 
No, that's not how God works. The healing revival sprung up because someone saw healing in the word, believed God, and started releasing this power into the earth by using their authority. They stepped out in faith on the word and saw the Holy Spirit demonstration. The, that healing power has been available ever since the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but the church just hasn't, hadn't been receiving it. I was trying to look up something, that's why I was distracting my phone. Actually, someone, uh, this last week, I think it was last Thursday, uh, had a Facebook post, and it was legit, but they said, you know, you know, we're kind of questioning the term revival because the term revival is not in Scripture. It's just like the term rapture is not in Scripture. And, but I also brought out, and my response to that post was, well, the word Trinity is not in Scripture either. Uh, the principle of Trinity is very out of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that you won't find the word, you can't uh, get your concordance looking at the word Trinity because it doesn't exist in the Bible. But the concept of Trinity does. Rapture, we may agree or disagree on that one. But revival, I don't see the term, but I also, another term for revival is a great awakening. And, uh, and so I, you know, revive means, you know, to make it live again. Um, you know, when you give someone CPR, for example, you are reviving them. Uh, and an EMT will do the same, or at a, uh, the hospital, or whatnot. You know, the, you know, when I became born again, I was revived. I became born again. I came alive. I was dead, and I became alive. When I received the Holy Spirit, there was a, a revival in my life. When there was different seasons. We had a pretty awesome high school revival uh, and when I was in high school. We saw a lot of people come to, to Christ uh, during those years and whatnot. We, uh, you know, when Sharon and I went to Kerr's Bible College and between 2013 2016, we were going to Bible school for four days a week, four hours a day. In our own lives, we were having our own revival. You know, this ministry, this ministry, we used to have 100 people watching online. In this last year, we have over 14,000 people watching online. In one sense, we're having a revival. <coughs> now, this whole concept of waves, and yes, there's been different movements through the years. But not, that's not because God changed, man changed. Man got a revelation on healing, or righteousness, or holiness, or whatever the case may be, and began to... I, had a, I, I want to almost quote something that he, he says here, but uh, they just stepped, they, they, in one sense they have stepped out of faith or they didn't have a revelation on it, but they finally they got a revelation of that truth. And it just it just began to revolutionize their lives. And there's been many times in my life where, uh, you know, I didn't have a, you know, back in 2009, I didn't have the right revelation of righteousness. Growing up, I did not have the right relationship. I'm not blaming that on anybody because I've gone to, like, my parents and, and different pastors, and, and I, I shared what I used to believe. And it's not because they taught that, because they, they claimed they didn't teach it that way, and I believe them. But at the same point in time, somewhere along the way, I, I got the wrong revelation of righteousness. And I thought it was right doing. Well, the word is a noun. It's used five, over 500 times in, in Scripture, and it's a noun. It's not a verb. Righteousness can't be right doing because that's a verb. And so, uh, but when you study it out, and I'm doing a study right now on Sunday mornings, 
is a noun. It's who we are in Christ. It's not what we do. Now, because we we are righteous, we live righteously. Because we there is a verb form of the word, but the word itself is actually a noun. And, you know, because we are holy, what makes us holy? There's only one thing that can make anything holy, not the blood of Jesus. You cannot wait make yourself holy because you obey God, because you don't sin. You cannot make yourself holy, okay? Nobody wants to be the best sinner in hell. And so we, 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 there's only one thing that can make anything righteous and holy. That's Jesus, okay? And am I advocating sin? No, absolutely not. But you can't make yourself holy just because you don't sin. Your nature, by definition, and through Adam, is sin. Okay, Paul uses the word sin in the book of Romans 49 times. 48 of those times is a noun. He's not talking about the action of sin. He's talking about our nature of sin through Adam. Even if you never committed a sin you, and, and you hadn't received Jesus, you're still going to hell because your nature, by nature, is sin. It was born in sin. Well, it says in First Peter chapter 1, verse 23, that we are born again not of corruptible seed, which is speaking of Adam, we're born again of incorruptible seed, which is Christ. And so, we're born again. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, whatever is flesh is born of flesh is flesh, whatever is born of spirit is spirit. You, in order to see the kingdom of God, you must, <coughs> excuse me, you must be born again. We're not born again. Our nature changed. When we became born again, it says in Second Corinthians five seventeen, behold, that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. We are to behold all things that passed away. All things have become new. What became new? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We became alive in Christ Jesus. We were buried with Him in baptism. We were raised together with Him in newness of life. We reckon ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Everything I'm describing right now is what I call revival. The Bible says, well, wait to righteousness and sin not. And there have been pockets of my, of my life where I got a revelation, for example, righteousness. And it revolutionized my life. I threw away uh, trash cans full of old teachings and tapes and notes that I was preaching the wrong message on righteousness and other, uh, because I had the, and righteousness is the foundation. If the foundation's wrong, pretty much the whole doctrine's gonna be wrong. Because all scripture's possible for doctrine, for reproof, for, for correction. We're training in righteousness so the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, you know, my because my definition and my revelation of righteousness was wrong, I, I believe pretty much all my teaching was wrong because the foundation was wrong. If the foundation's wrong, uh, everything you build on top of the foundation is going to have a bad taste. It's going to there's something corrupt about that. And so, uh, did I just kick myself? No, I in one sense, repented of what I taught, and I began to teach righteousness. I began to teach it in the way it is it's supposed to be taught, in the way it is. And, and that was a revival. Did God move to something different? No. The light just finally turned on in my head, and I finally got a revelation. And because I got a revelation, I was revived. I was excited. I was, and I'm still revived. I, I get passionate about the subject. This is my most favorite topic to talk about. It has totally revolutionized my life in so many different areas because I got a revelation of righteousness. God didn't move, do something new. It was, it already existed. I already was born again. I had already put on the new man who was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 5, I mean Ephesians 4 verse 24. 
I didn't get something new. I just got a revelation that I already had. And and that in one sense, that revival hasn't stopped. God doesn't move in waves. God doesn't pour out his spirit here and pour out his spirit there and pour, pour out his spirit in this generation and pour out his spirit in this. No, he poured out his spirit at one time at the day of Pentecost and he's been pouring out his spirit ever since. We have to receive the Holy Spirit in different things and we have to receive Jesus, and in one sense, we have to receive the Word of God that we hear preached and taught, and we read it ourselves. And so we, and the, it's impossible. See, the Word of God is God breathed, and when God breathes His Word like CPR into your spirit, there is going to be a revival. It's God God is still breathing. He's alive. His Word is a living uh, epistle. You know, I was listening to something from uh, Jesse Duplantis there today, and I forget exactly how he said it, but he just said, you know, uh, everyone has an opinion, and everyone has an opinion about God. But God's not a, an opinion. God is a living reality. And so some of us need to get that. that. It's not about, I don't care about your opinion. I don't care about my opinion. I care about what God said and what God says to us. And we can have revival when we get a re when I get a revelation of God's word on a particular topic, whatever. Different times, topics I know, I've known, I've, I've preached on, I've taught on. But maybe I'm down in the dust. Maybe I'm just discouraged. Maybe I just woke up on the wrong side of bed. Maybe I'm just, you know, uh, I don't know, but a screw came loose somewhere. But I just need, uh, but I, I get back into the Word of God. I get back, there's been times in the middle of my day, middle of my week, I get. I go into God's presence and worship Him, and my spirit is revived. When I when I get in His Word, I'm revived. When I go to church and fellowship with one another, I'm revived. When I hear a pastor or a preacher preach the truth, right, there's something that just ignites and revives. You know, you're overseeing a bunch of coals in the fire. You separate them, they cool out, they can cool down. But you get those hot coals together and that fire can be revived. Okay? So the, it's not it's revival it's not because God's doing something new. We're not tearing for God to do something new. We are seeking God. We are seeking first his kingdom, his righteousness. We are getting uh, the the word of God is like a fire. You're gonna say in our whole heart and mind and will on fire for God in a good way, in a purifying way, in an all-consuming fire type of way. And so uh, I, I hope you're getting what I'm trying to say. God doesn't move in waves. We just finally got on the wave. And so uh, God's been, it's like the ocean. It doesn't stop. You know, it, it's not like when the sun goes down, the waves will stop and it becomes peaceful. At least, not, at least not here in California on the western side of this continent. But at the same point in time, it's going all the time. When we leave, when we come back in a few weeks or a few months, it's, it's, the waves are still going. It, it, it's constant. You know, it doesn't just turn off. Yes, there's a, there's a, what they call it, a low tide and high tide. And there's different times. There's even other tides because of storms and whatnot, even tsunamis, whatnot. But the waves don't stop. God is like a ocean, uh, the, the roaring ocean. He doesn't stop. We just finally got on the wave like a surfer. And uh, <coughs> so, anyway, I hope that was fruitful. You know, as Dave was speaking and, and, and hearing him, you know, it goes back to the title of this chapter, Believe and Receive. When we hear the Word of God and we believe it and receive it, that's when we see revival. If you read in the Bible, especially in the book of Acts, where they preach the Word of God, 
things happened. People, when people received it, their lives were changed. You know, Dave spoke about be, becoming new, a new creation when you're born again. Anytime you hear the word of God, if if you read any of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the book of Acts especially, when you have either Jesus speaking into someone's life or the disciples and the apostles preaching the word of God, revival happens. You have people awaking to right, right, awaking to righteousness and sinning not. You have people being born again. You have people being healed. You have people being raised from the dead, all because they believed the word of God and received. And also, you see this a lot, a lot in the book of Acts. Anywhere the gospel was preached, signs and wonders followed. You saw the dead being raised. You saw demons cast out. You saw people being healed. And people turned to the, to the Lord in droves because they believed and received. And that, that, that's the biggest part of revival is that believing and receiving God's word. In fact, all of Andrew's book, Believer's Authority, yes, we have authority as believers, but we need to believe God's word to know what we have and how to use it. Amen. Amen. Sorry, just, you'll see me on Facebook because, or on my phone because I'm responding to different people on Facebook, YouTube, and different different platforms. So that's why I'm here. I'm not being rude. I'm actually participating with you. So anyway, uh, let's go ahead and read the next section. Always available. Back in the 1940s, most of the church believed that miracles, signs, and wonders had all passed away with the apostles. This was the dominant theological position being taught. However, a young man named Oral Roberts received healing from tuberculosis and stuttering after being bedridden for over five months. As he studied the word, he became personally convinced that it's God's will to heal today. So this young minister stepped out on that word by renting a hall in Enid, Oklahoma. In this first meeting, Earl asked God for three things. The first was a certain minimum number of people in attendance. So before he ever even went out on the stage, Earl stood behind the curtain and counted the people. Then he went out and immediately took up an offering. Earl had told God, I am not going to go in debt. So if this is you, you're going to have to bring in enough money to at least cover the ex these expenses. After the offering was counted, the second requirement was met nearly to the penny. The third thing Oral asked for was at least one notable miracle. He said, God, I'm going to preach and proclaim that it's still your will to heal today. If this is really you, then we have to see at least one notable miracle. After preaching his sermon, he called people forward and the healings began to manifest. From then on, it was full steam ahead. Oral Roberts and many others began proclaiming the word of God concerning healing. As people believed that word and received healing, a revival broke out. Some people think, well, God just sovereignly moved. No, the Lord has always desired for us to receive healing, manifest miracles to receive healings, manifest miracles, and experience revival ever since he walked on this earth. Jesus himself said, Verily, verily, I say unto you,
He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. John 14, 12. We can debate what the greater works are, but what are you going to do with the works that I do shall he do also? God always intended for his church to operate in the supernatural. It's not God that just skipped from around 200 A.D. until 1940. No, it's people who quit appropriating his power. Christians got into unbelief. They stopped operating in faith. Finally, somebody broke through this barrier and started believing again. Then they preached and proclaimed God's word. When they took their authority and used it, healing manifested. Yet the whole counsel of God has always been available to those who would believe. God doesn't just move for a decade in this and then move for a decade in that. Ten years ago, he moved in healing. Now he's forgotten healing and is moving in righteousness. This new decade, he's going to work on marriages. There's a new wave coming. Nonsense. That's just man's attempt to justify our powerlessness. This is awesome. If you're, really, if you're really listening and paying attention to what we're trying to say, what Andrew's trying to say, and this teaching, you know, there's just so much I can pick you back on. And, and so many people have this, this, this concept that God sovereignly moved here, and God sovereignly moved there, and we're just waiting on God. And that is nonsense. That is wrong. That is not how God moves. That's not how God moves in Scripture. That's not how God moves here. And so, now, now if, when I say how God moves in Scripture, Old Testament is different than New Testament. Okay? Um, it's, we're in a totally different and even better covenant. Jesus said, the works that I do... You shall do it even greater works. And like Andrew said, we can debate about what the greater works are, but we can't we can't really disagree on what the works that he did. How do we know what the works he did? Well we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that kinda of tell that kinda of, uh, spells it out for us. Okay? And I believe all scripture, including Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John, is John is inspired by God. Okay? And so <clears throat> John said there wasn't even enough books to write down all of that. And Jesus said that if there had been there would I mean, this planet would not have been able to contain it, okay? But, you know, when I studied that scripture, we just, we only read part of it, but if John uh, fourteen twelve says, let me read it again. Very, very, I say to you that he that believeth on me the works that I do, he shall do also, and even greater works than these, because I go to the Father. <coughs> you know, I love preaching on that. Jesus said, because I go to the Father, you will do the works that I do, even greater works. Why did Jesus go to the Father? Why did Jesus, you know, we talk about the birth, death, burial, uh, uh, resurrection, and then ascension of Jesus. Why did Jesus go to the Father? It says in Isaiah 55 that my word will not return to him void, but will accomplish for the time that I came. Jesus is the word of God. And we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. Jesus came, the Lamb. He came to die, so that we may live. Jesus came. He went, and in context of John fourteen, <coughs> excuse me, in John fourteen, he's getting ready to go to the cross. And as he's getting ready to go to the cross, he's telling them that the Holy Spirit will come. But the greater works, what will you do than these? Because I go to the Father. 
Jesus is going to go back to the Father because Jesus is about ready to deal with the reason that he came. He came to die. And in, in the next, and just a few chapters later, we see in, John, in the book of John that Jesus went to the cross. And a few chapters after that, we see that Jesus rose from the dead. Three days later, later, and four, uh, and then, and then, then, then some time after that, we see that Jesus ascended. He went back to the Father because Jesus came. The Word of God came and returned back to the Father, not void, but He came to fulfill what Jesus had done, which ushered us into the new covenant. The new covenant didn't start with Matthew chapter one verse one. The new covenant started with the cross. You can't have a covenant without the cross. I mean, excuse me. You can't have a covenant without the shedding of blood. And so, and so the 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 cross ushered us into a new covenant. And so we have the finished work of the cross, the same power to raise Christ from the dead, at our disposal to do these works that Jesus did, and even greater works. The second thing that happened when Jesus when Jesus said greater works shall you do because I go to the Father. The second thing that happened when Jesus went to the Father, because in context in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit that we just talked about, he doesn't just move here in this generation, move here in that generation, and then just like a like a like a flea, he just hops from one place to another. No, he just he he is pouring out his spirit upon all flesh, it says in the book of Joel. And it's recorded in Acts chapter two when Peter preached at Pentecost. And so in other words, what I'm trying to convey is we are the from the from when the church age began in the book of Acts chapter two. No other age in all history had the finished work of the cross, and no other age in all history had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You and I are living still in the church age where we have the finished work of the cross and we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it's those two things that Jesus said, because I go to the Father. If because Jesus went to the Father, meant that the finish with the, 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 the cross had been accomplished. And that the Holy Spirit had been poured about upon all flesh. And we have those two things. And the very next verse, I know it's not recorded in this book, but the very next verse, Jesus said, When whatever you ask in my name, that the Father will do, that he may be glorified in the Son. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. We're not asking. And then we're like, well, we need to ask God to do it. God told us, and there's so many other scriptures, Jesus told us to preach the gospel. Told, Jesus told us to go lay hands on the sick and see them recover. You know, it's not, you know, he gave us a story of Oral Roberts. When he started his ministry, he asked God for three things. Excuse me, one of those things was for a miracle. And they began to have a revival of healing miracles take place. Jesus told us to go heal the sick. <coughs> he told us that uh, when he commissioned the church in, 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 in Matthew 28. He told us that in Mark 16. He told us that in Luke 24. He told us that in the book of Acts uh, before he went to the cross. I mean, before he was ascended on high. And so Jesus has already commissioned us. And he never took that commission back. And it's not and when we start seeing a hilly revival, it's not because God's doing something new. It's because, as he says here, someone, I forget, I, I forget exactly what he says it, 
But someone finally broke through the barrier and believed God. Someone broke through the barrier, barrier and began to lay hands on the sick. In other words, <coughs> someone began to do what God told us to do. Believe God. How, you know, do you believe in healing the sick? Well, how many people are you laying hands on? How many people are you believing in? And we have authority to heal the sick and see them recover. Jesus, our commander-in-chief, our king of kings, our master, told us we have authority. And if sickness is not responding to us, it's not God's fault. He told us we have authority. And I'm not going to let sickness dictate who reigns? I'm going to let my God and my king tell, dictate who reigns. And Jesus says, I can lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And I command sickness to respond to the name of Jesus that Jesus said, I have the power of eternity to use. You, and I'm using me as an example. Sherry has the same power of eternity. You have the same power of eternity. You have a Authority to heal the sick. You have authority to raise the dead. You know, so many people, I even have someone even in this dialogue, and I'm not picking on anybody, but in one sense, they're implying asking me for money to, to feed the poor, to feed the children. You know, first of all, I don't know you, and that's not any disrespect, but I'm not just going to hand out money to someone I don't know. I'm also not going to hand out money when God didn't tell me to give. I'm not going to, and at the same point in time, even if I did, if, if you are trusting me for your, your sources and not trusting God, Jeremiah says that's a curse. To trust man for your strength is a curse, but to trust God for your strength is a blessing. Now, I'm not saying that God won't use people, but you can't manipulate people. You can't beg people to give. That's not how it works. You know, we, 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 we take up an offering every Bible study. We, I, I did it at the very beginning, and, I, you know, most most people don't give. I don't beg you guys. Uh, that would be the, the right thing to do, would be able to, if you're being fed through this ministry, then, then, then the, the right thing to do would to be to give an offering. I mean, when you go to a restaurant, do you pay, the, do you pay them for the food? <coughs> you know, uh, here in America, I don't know what restaurants you have. There, but when you go to McDonald's, do you pay Wendy's? You know, do you? I mean, do you do you not show your appreciation and and and, and honor to the one who supplied you the food and waited on your table? You know, if I if we're feeding you, then the right honorable thing would be to to give an offering. But I don't beg and I don't plead. It would be the right thing to do. But I don't beg and plead. Okay, and 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 my, the point I'm trying to get to is that. We have so many scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament how God met people's needs. In the Old Testament, the, the widow got all the jars of, and, and, and God supernaturally filled them with oil. In the New Testament, Jesus fed the 4,000. He fed the 5,000 with just one boy's lunch. And we have a lot of examples in the, in, in where twice with Peter, he cast his net. One time with Cassie on the other side. Of the boat. One time he launched out the <coughs> and that's when he he uh, he's just spent all night fishing and caught nothing. You know, every time we have a fish story with Peter, he had caught nothing until Jesus got into the boat and, and said, uh, cast your net on the other side or whatever the case may be. 
You know when Jesus, when Peter finally caught that fish, that it was so it was so large that the boat began to sink and the nets began to break. Did you know that Peter, a fisherman, that was his livelihood. That was the biggest payday he ever had. And Jesus said, the works that I do, we can do. Jesus calmed the storm. Jesus fed the multitudes. Jesus uh, multiplied the fish. <coughs> we have at least four fish stories of Jesus multiplying fish. The loaves and the fish, twice. And we have two stories of Peter where he multiplied fish. You know, um, we, we have a lot of different stories where, G, I mean, the, the, we had to pay taxes. And, uh, and there was another fish story. Peter went out and go fish, and the first, first fish he found it was a coin to pay his taxes. You know, Jesus said, the same works I do, you can do. Why? Because he's, he went to the Father, and Jesus is on the throne. And we are, we, we are sitting with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Uh, in Revelation chapter 3 verse 21 I believe it is that we sit together with him on his throne now as Jesus is or so are we in this world and so <coughs> in First John chapter 3 verse 2 the end part of the verse says and we will be like him when we see him as he is so my point is you know we can have if you start healing the sick you start raising the dead you will have all the revival you can handle Your church, your community, your orphanage, your home, your city, your where God has planted you and your family can start having revival right now. If you will start believing God, preach his word, teach his word, and begin healing the sick, lay hands on the sick to and recover, raise the dead. You can see miracles, you can see financial miracles, you can see all kinds of things. We can change the world upside down for Christ if we would start believing the Word of God and manifesting it in Jesus' name. And there's so many things I can elaborate on all this. I don't have the ability to convey everything I want to convey to you right now. But we're not waiting for God to move. He is waiting for us to move. And you know, it, first of all, I'm into to what Dave shared but think about it this way. It is not our own power. By ourselves, we do not have authority. We do not have power. But it is the authority that God gave us. He has baptized us with his Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in us when we are born again. And it's that power that raises the dead, that heals the sick, that cast out demons. It is that power and authority. In a sense, it's like a king knighting someone so that they be, become his knight, where he's, or, or even a, a, a prince or a princess, because of their relationship to the king and queen, because the king has bestowed on them his name, his crown, his power and authority, they in turn can act in the name of the king. And that is like us, you know, in, in movies or in books, when you see that the knight is kneeling and that the king has a sword or a scepter that he puts on them and he knights them, 
and he's basically given them the authority of a knight or whatever uh, title he's he's giving them but that's what God's done in us and he has in a sense laid his holy scepter on us and baptized us with his holy spirit so that his power dwells in us and it's that power that we release but if we don't realize that that's who we have in us if we do not believe the word of god then we are we we don't know what we have and, and we can't act on that but when we know there's ministers out there who are healing the sick and raising the dead uh, like Andrew and, and different ones um, they got a revelation of who it is that dwells in them who it is that's given them power and authority that Jesus Christ is the same today as he was yesterday today and forever and when Jesus walked this earth he healed all that came to him and when you study it out, when you study out healing and you realize the scriptures in the Old Testament that prophesy of what Jesus was going to do and accomplish, they have been fulfilled at the cross. And not only did Jesus heal anyone that came to him in, in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but it says, I believe in, in Peter or First Peter or one of them, that by his stripes we are healed jesus paid for our healing and when we understand that and we understand the power that works in us the same power that raised jesus from the dead is it in us we can go out and heal the sick we can say to our headache be gone i don't receive you in the name of jesus and we can do all things in, in um, signs and wonders and, and miracles in the name of Jesus because of his power that raised Jesus from the dead. You know, I love Isaiah 52, 7. It, it ends with, our God reigns. And when we realize that, when we realize it's God who's on the throne, when we realize that he is Lord, like Dave said, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, when we understand that, uh, man, you'll have all the revival that you can take. And again, in, in Acts and the different ones, in, in, the, in, the, in the different books of the Bible, people believed God's word and their lives were forever changed, forever healed, forever whole. Uh, the, the disciples, I mean, look at them. They, they walked with Jesus for three and a half years, stumbled and fell, and uh, acted stupid. Uh, like some of us sometimes uh, all have a piece of stupid, um, I think Dwayne Sheriff calls it. But when they realized, after the cross, when Jesus rose from the dead, when they realized that everything that Jesus told them was true, they believed with every ounce of their being and they went out and changed the world all right uh, let's go ahead and read this last section here real quick um you know this chapter work on your receiver the lord is today all that he ever was and all that he'll ever be jesus christ the same yesterday and today and forever hebrews 13 8. he wants to move in in and through your life in miracles, 
healings, deliverance, and prosperity. Everything that God is, is now available to you through his word. You don't have to beg and plead, but then just passively sit back and wait to see what God will do. The Bible calls that unbelief. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6 God honors those who honor him. See 1 Samuel 1 and uh, chapter 2, 20 and 21. Believe that God is. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Pray, Father, I am seeking you. Your word tells me that you have provided all these things. By faith, I receive. Thank you, Lord. As you seek him and continue building yourself up in faith, the power of God will manifest and you'll operate in all the revival you want. You're the one who determines how much revival you have, not God. You don't have to pray and just passively wait saying, I've been praying 20 years for revival and we haven't got it yet. I don't know why God hasn't done it. That's just as wrong as someone saying, I've been praying 20 years for the baptism in the Holy Ghost. But God hasn't given it to me yet. No, God has already given. You just haven't received it yet. It's not God's giver that have, that's having the problem. It's your receiver. You need to work on your receiving, not God's giving. This is just so awesome that you, you and I and Bubba... Uh, can understand this. Even though we're reading this, even though we're teaching this, even though we're uh, conveying ourselves, doesn't mean we are perfect at it either. Uh, we need to we need to apply everything we're hearing here too. But we need to work on a receiver. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness in Jesus Christ. If you need provision, if you need healing, if you need wisdom. If whatever you need in this life, God has already given you the provision before you ever needed it. For example, when God created the heavens and the earth, He created man and man man last. Why did God create man last? Well, He didn't want to create man on the first day when there was not, not even any light yet. He didn't want to create him before there was a planet. He didn't want to create him when all there was was water and we were treading water for one whole day for 24 hours. He didn't want to create man until there was vegetation and, and, and herbs and, and food for man to eat. Otherwise man would be fasting the first day he ever existed. He, want, he created man after he created a, a perfect universe, a perfect world and said it was good. And then he created man after he created all the provision that man would ever need. And then, God, we were recreated in Christ Jesus. And everything we need, everything we need is in God. You know, I have someone dialoguing with me right now. I don't have money. I can't feed the children. I can't feed them. So you have Jesus. And I know that, I know you think there's a difference between spiritual and natural. The spiritual is the, the parent force. The spiritual created the natural. God created the natural. Jesus, I mean, the parable, of the, uh, 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 the parable, uh, I mean, that's not a parable. When Jesus fed the 4,000, he fed the 5,000. 
he in that con and Jesus had money, okay, but in that context, he didn't even have a lunch. Okay, the disciples didn't even have food. They went on a journey and they didn't pack enough food. Okay, and they were quarreling among each other for for not doing so. Okay, but Jesus wanted to feed the multitudes, four thousand men plus women and children, five thousand men plus women and children twice, two different occasions. Even Jesus didn't have a lunch. Even Jesus didn't have food. The boy did. But Jesus took the offering given to him of the boy's lunch. And he multiplied and fed until there was, basket, there was baskets over. One time there was 12 baskets left over. And I think the other time there was like 8. But at the same point, you know, in January I'm going to be doing a message. A series, I think it'll be a short series about hardening your heart. And in the book of Mark, I don't have the reference in front of me. <coughs> this was after Jesus had fed the five thousand, after he had fed the four thousand, and and the disciples were quarreling among each other, and Jesus said that their hearts were hardened, not because they had sinned, not because they had rebelled against God, they had hardened their heart because they did not expect Him to do miracles. They did not expect him to to feed the multitudes. They didn't expect actually and in context Jesus told them to feed the multitudes. He told them and, and they, 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 they they were beside themselves. They're like, We don't have food. We don't even have enough money to buy enough food for all these people. <coughs> See the, the disciples were looking at the natural, just like some of us are looking I don't have enough I don't have enough money to feed the multitudes. I don't have enough money to feed the children and whatnot. You are not the source. And that is a sign of a hardened heart. And I'm not saying this to be mean any more than Jesus said it to the disciples to be mean. I'm saying this to help you. That stop looking to men. Stop looking at your lack. And start looking to Jesus. He's the author, and he is the finisher of your faith. And if Jesus could feed the multitudes, and he said us, we can do the same works he did, then you and I can feed the multitudes. You don't need money. You don't need this or that. You need God. Trust God. Believe God, and do what he told you to do. Do what he told the disciples to do. Feed the multitudes. Feed the children. How? The same way Jesus fed us out in 4,000 and 5,000. He said we can do the works that he did. And you think I'm, uh, I'm not understanding. I am understanding. As a pastor, as a minister of the word of God, and either we believe this word or we don't believe it. And we need to believe God that God can use us right now in this situation and take the little whatever we do have and multiply it and feed the children. And and, and this sounds bizarre. And this sounds it's called a miracle. Okay? Don't try to figure it out in the natural. You can't figure out a miracle in the natural. Otherwise, it's not a miracle. Okay? And so God is a God of miracles. And the God of miracles said that we have a responsibility. We have authority. 
You and I have the authority to create miracles and do miracles in Jesus' name. He said the works that he did, we can do also. Did Jesus lie? Did Jesus bear false witness? Is the word of God not true? Did not is not what Jesus said true that we can do what he said what he did? Then start believing God and do likewise. You know, we have mentioned so many times about the healing testimonies that um, that Andrew shares uh, on his website of people who believed God's word and were healed. And they all have that common theme. And, and it's not just healing testimonies. There is people whose lives turned around, whether it be financially or whatever it is that they needed at, um, in these testimonies. But they all have one thing in common. They believe the word of God and they received. If you re read Ephesians 1, it talks about how God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Dave referred to the verse, I believe it's in, uh, I want to say 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, about God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of, in, the, in or through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. When we believe Him, when we believe God at His word, even in Matthew uh, 6.33 Jesus himself is saying, hey, God knows you need food. He knows you need shelter. He knows you need uh, a roof over your head. But you are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of that will be added unto you. When we seek him first, when we trust him, that's when we see miracles um, it, it's all about trusting God if you break down the word faith into just the simplest definition it's trusting God at his word and uh, that's what we are encouraging you to do because that's when we see life change and miracles happened it is when we trust God um, and, you know, I, I know time is short, and we are ending the Bible study for tonight. Uh, we will see you Sunday morning, actually, um, when, as Dave continues his series on righteousness, which I encourage you to join us then uh, on Sunday. But I want to leave you all with a blessing. We bless you in the name of Jesus Christ. We Thank God for all of you, and we know that it is God's joy to bless all of you. So uh, get a good night's sleep, sleep, be refreshed, and uh, we will see you the next time uh, on Sunday morning.